Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Christiana Best, host of the podcast Inside Out, Outside In. This podcast was developed for and by colleges and universities and its surrounding and supporting communities. The goal of the podcast is to inform, educate, and build community as well as inspire change. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of any college, university, or institution. Today's episode is part of a series of conversations I'm having on COVID-19 and equity. So my conversation is going to be with Father Joseph Shea, who is a colleague of mine, and we're going to be talking specifically about the hate crimes and racial discriminations that are directed at Asian Americans during this pandemic. Thank you for coming. I'm really happy to have you with me, Father Joe. Today's topic is COVID-19 and equity. Um, And so I wanted to talk to you as someone who is a faculty, a professor, as well as a priest, as well as an Asian American. Uh, Because I know that there's been a lot of racial incidents against Asians lately due to the coronavirus, which has been derogatorily named China virus. Just as we get started, I'll ask you to share who you are with the audience, both personally and professionally. Yeah. Uh, I'm Father Joe Shea. I'm Professor of Religious Study and Theology at the University of St. Joseph. Um, Prior to uh, my involvement with academia, I was in pastoral ministry and campus ministry. I'm a member of the Servite, which is a Roman Catholic religious order. And I'm an immigrant from Burma. I came here with my parents when I was was a kid. My immigration story is unique in the sense that uh, shortly after the military took over Burma, it was no longer safe for my father, father to be there because he, he worked for American intelligence. Uh, so we, uh, my parents resettled in, in, the, in the city. So I'm one of the few Asian immigrants who actually grew up in a black inner city neighborhood. Mm. Uh, now it occurs to me that this podcast has been recorded nine days after the tragic killing of George Floyd and a few weeks after the horrific killing of Ama Arbery and Breonna Taylor. Mm-hmm. By talking about anti-Asian racism at this time, I'm not minimizing the struggle Asian uh, African-Americans who have to face anti-Black racism on a daily basis. Rather, I'm in heartfelt solidarity with African-American communities by recognizing the reality of racism within Asian-American communities both the anti-Asian racism directed at Asian Americans and anti-Blackness sentiments among members of my own community, the Asian American communities. I'm also expressing my outrage over the complicity in police brutality by an Asian American officer at the scene of Floyd's death. While the action of this former, former police officer 
does not in any way reflect the Hmong community. Many within the Asian American community must come to terms with our own colorism. Asian American <clears throat> must reject anti-blackness, advocate for anti-racist causes, and work in solidarity with other communities of color. The anti-Asian racism that surfaced during this pandemic teaches us anything. It teaches us that we are not white. We are still seen as perpetual foreigners. We are still considered unassimilable and we are still perceived often unconsciously as less than human. And the latter is the same kind of attacks against the dignity of human person that African-American, Latinx, and other people of color can identify with. If we are to overcome this moral evil and better in all levels of society, of what James Cone called America's original sin, we have to work in solidarity in resisting white supremacy. Anti-Asian racism before the 1965 Immigration Act and certainly during the 19th century was very bad. As bad as it was, I agree with Asian American scholar who said that racism toward Asian American was not as expensive as slavery was for African Americans. Nevertheless, it's important to talk about anti-Asian racism, not simply because of COVID-19, but also because racism against or racism toward Asian Americans is something that's often ignored and at times even denied. And Asian Americans are partly to blame for this because many of us assume the role of the modern minority. The idea that Asian Americans do not experience racism is sometimes expressed disparagingly as, what do they know, what do they have to complain about? They meaning Asian American. And what do they have to complain about? After all, they are the modern minority. Mm -hmm. A modern minority is designed to keep Asian Americans in our place and to pit Asian Americans against other people of color. And COVID-19 gave us the opportunity to talk about the deep-seated anti-Asian racism that has surfaced during this pandemic. It gives us the opportunity to make ourselves public, to let our voices be heard. And it is in this spirit I'm doing this podcast. Well, thank you. If I was in church, I'd be saying amen. Amen. You really um, uh, conceptualized it and, and framed it really nicely. I wanted to, because you mentioned the term model minority, can you explain to the audience what that means and how it manifests itself? Yeah, the model minority myth uh, came uh, about in 1966, uh, prior to that Asian American was seen as yellow peril. Uh, in 1966, a guy by the name of sociologist, William Peterson, uh, wrote an uh, article, I think it was in U.S. News and World, World Report, could be Newsweek, but uh, it's a very influential article. Uh, he, he called the Japanese American the model minority. Now, prior to that, you know, uh, as I said, Asian American, the Yellow Peril, and the only modern minority I can think of were the Jews. The Jews are considered modern minority even at the beginning of the 20th century. But anyway, the uh, the label 
the neoconservative took the label and carried with it. Uh, they, what they basically do is use the label to uh, pit uh, Asian American uh, with African American in particular. Right. In 1960, the height of the civil rights era. Uh, so the, uh, uh, the, the African Americans were uh, fighting for their rights, self-determination and things like that. And uh, uh, they want to present another group, this tiny little group. Now at that time, the, the, uh, the Asian American population was only one half of 1%, very mm -hmm. small, tiny group. There's not much of a concession to give these tiny group of people something mm -hmm. so that, that they can put this tiny group with the larger minority group, the African-Americans. Mm -hmm. uh, so the idea was that you know, uh, if these tiny group, Japanese-American, Chinese-American are doing well, there really isn't you know, systemic racism, structural racism in, in, in the United States. Mm -hmm. you know, why can't you do it? Uh, so they present the, the Asian American as uh, quiet, you know, uh, hardworking, uh, successful. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not entirely true, but that's how it's presented. So right. that's the, the, the modern minority uh, uh, basically, uh, you know, divert attention away from the structural and systemic racism confronted by all uh, racial minority. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And just one more question in that area that I want to sort of um, tease out is, you know, how how do Asian Americans benefit from um, the myth of the model minority? There must be something in it for them. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. As I said, you know, the, uh, the, the very fact that they're calling Asian American model minority is the, uh, they have to give them some uh, level of privilege when they do that. And they are willing to do that, meaning the, the neoconservative, willing to do that because the Asian American population is so tiny. So it's, it's not much of a concession to do that. If they're, if they're called as the African-American model minority, that that's like, you know, at, at, at that time, I don't know, about 8% of the US population, whatever. I mean, that's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. uh, you, uh, Asian American, 0.5 percent. That's hardly anything. Uh, so they're willing to do that uh, so that uh, uh, and then to put the Asian American with the other people of color. Uh, so the some level of privilege afforded to Asian American came from that time. Uh, the uh, the idea was that uh, uh, if Asian American can do it, why can't you? Mm -hmm. uh, the myth deflect attention from social structure and those who empower and those who benefit from it, avoid the responsibility of dealing with racial inequality, anti-black racism in particular. And to so divide and conquer. Yeah, the divide and conquer and technique, exactly. They have been used by a dominant group to keep people of color in conflict with each other. Mm -hmm. uh, if we are fighting among or between ourselves, we don't have time to dismantle the system hegemony under which we are placed. There were many examples of that. In Hawaii, you know, there's a good example. They brought in Chinese, then they brought in Japanese, and you know, fit the Chinese, Japanese, mm -hmm. then they fit the Japanese, Korean, and Korean, and, and Filipino, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. They did the same thing in the Caribbean. 
If you go to Jamaica, you'd see a large Chinese population that was brought in shortly after slavery ended, as well as an East Indian population that's in Trinidad and Guyana, but all over the Caribbean. But in terms of um, the residuals today, it's primarily Guyana and Trinidad that have a large number of Indians as still, and um, Jamaica has the Chinese. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they brought them in because they didn't want to pay people of African ancestry uh, to work the land after slavery ended. Mm -hmm. And so there's always been an effort to destabilize and keep us fighting each other and not looking at the real issue of systemic racism that is Mm -hmm. part of the white dominant culture. Yes, exactly, yes. Great. Going into the the xenophobia that existed prior to Mm COVID-19 and what is currently happening in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, what are some examples of how it's manifesting itself today during the pandemic? Okay. Uh, now, I have relatives and friends at San Francisco Bay Area who are afraid to go to the grocery store. They take the bar, the public transport, mm. or they go for a leisurely walk around the neighborhood for fear of being harassed, either verbally or physically. Mm-hmm. In a civilized society, no one should be afraid to go about doing the things they need to do for survival and to live a full and healthy life. Mm-hmm. And this is what makes the virus of hate and racism accompanying COVID-19 so despicable and dangerous. The moral virus of hate and racism has been part of the United States since its foundation. And anti-Asian racism has existed even before Chinese arrived in significant numbers in mid 19th century. What COVID-19 has, has, has done is to bring to the surface the sense of our past that we are not adequately dealt with. The continued portrays of Chinese and other Asians as the yellow peril, uh, the racialized stereotype that uh, they are disease-ridden, unfair competitors, and unsimilar to the American way of life. Mm-hmm. And these historical forms of racism and xenophobia continue to persist to this day of COVID-19 associated with any uh, visibly Asian person. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, the yellow peril is aided by political rhetoric and media rep- representation associating the new coronavirus with China. As a result, the surge of anti-Asian racism against Chinese diasporic communities has been swift. And this has been confirmed by many, uh, by many incidents of hate violence against Asian Americans. And many of these incidents have been logged by a reporting center called Stop API Hate. It's a center established for collecting and tracking incidents of hate violence against Asian Americans and Pacific Islander. The center has identified eight incidents as verbal harassment, shunning, uh, coughing at and spitting upon, uh, violent physical assault, and barring from establishment and transportation. The last two, the barring from establishment and transportation, constitute civil rights violation. 
physical assault, as well as coughing at and spitting upon another person, which pose public health concern, can be classified as either a hate incident or hate crime. There are many examples of that. Uh, let me just give you um, a few of them. The, among the nation's frontline workers in hospital, Asian Americans represent 18% of physicians and 10% of nurse practitioners. Mm-hmm. And some have encountered verbal or physical harassment while taking the subway to and from work, and many have experienced rejections from their patients who requested to be treated by a non-Asian physician or nurse. Uh, there's an article in Washington Post uh, which ran a story about Lucy Lee, a 28-year-old anesthesiology resident at Massachusetts General Hospital who experienced verbal, verbal harassment from a stranger who followed her to the subway and discharged a profanity-laced racist outburst at her. Initially, she was stunned and later she was saddened and angered uh, by irony that here she is risking her personal help to save the lives of others, only to be vilified for the way she looks. Um, there also been uh, violent assault at school and public places. One of the worst uh, you know, violent assault took place in the Sam's Club in Midland, Texas. A 19-year-old Latino suspect stabbed three Burmese American members, including a two-year-old and a six-year-old, on the assumption that they were infecting people with the coronavirus. Now, why would you stab a two-year-old? Jesus Christ. Uh, This hate crime is also considered racial profiling because the victims are not Chinese. Uh, The father and children who were attacked are Chen, Chen are ethnic minority group from Burma. But various news and reports on social media conflated Chen with Chinese. So this blurring between nation and ethnicity shows how Asians become a singular race in the United States, targeted and lumped together as scapegoats of xenophobia. Mm-hmm. Now, the reaction of these people, you know, the stranger, the young Latino, uh, reflect the visceral uh, reaction of many Americans when faced with the fear of contracting a virus. Instead of educating themselves on the situation, they allow xenophobic hysteria and anxiety about the unknown to dictate their behaviors. In so doing, they reveal the ugly side of intolerance that pervades our society, adding to the agony and suffering already caused by the pandemic itself. So. Father Joe, a couple of things come to mind. One, I just want to share a story. I have a, I meet on Zoom with uh, a couple, a few of my colleagues from the PhD program. We've been meeting in person for many, many years. Um, given the COVID nineteen, we we've decided to meet on Zoom. And one of my colleagues is Korean, and she has been working six to seven days a week because she works in a nursing home as a a supervising um, social worker. And many of her staff are too scared to go in, so she has to go in. And she, I can't tell you how exhausted and uh, mentally uh, stressed she is in her job, but she shared with us last Sunday when we met that she was at the bus stop And 
the, some teenagers in a car that, was, that were passing by rolled down the window and said, go back to China. Mm-hmm. And here she was <laughs> working all these days and hours endlessly, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, in a nursing home in the midst of losing so many people to COVID-19 in the nursing home. And um, she's experiencing this just by standing on the side of the street. And so Mm -hmm. I was incredibly upset when she shared this with with us. So we're trying to support her as much as possible. The other thing that you raised for me when I listened to you was that racism against Asians doesn't always happen by white people. It sounds like other people of color are also engaging in these aggressive attacks against Asians. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the, uh, I think that probably has to do with the uh, uh, model minority because the, 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 you know, the main point of model minority is to pit Asian against other people of color. Mm. And it's probably have to do with the uh, 1965 Immigration Act Mm-hmm. And one of the provision of that act is professional, you know, category where they're looking for the best and the brightest, the, the, the most educated, you know, it's basically a brain drain type of policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you have all these you know, things in combination, you're getting somebody from another country uh, who's coming from another class, usually a you know, higher class, they're educated, and, uh, and they're not having, they have no clue of the, uh, the racial history in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it first came, and uh, so yeah, all these di- differences, and uh, we don't, we don't do a good job of uh, basically you know trying to uh, uh, get these people to get to know each other. Mm-hmm. We, we just lump, you know, we just uh, send them in you know, to where they're going, and uh, so uh, now the, the problem is already there, and you know, all, mm-hmm. all the differences are already there, mm-hmm. and uh, you know you don't have to look too far. You can even look just within our own racial ethnic community. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's take, for example, African-American community. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, are, when I'm, ta- I'm not talking about refugee. Refugee are a different situation. Uh, immigrants from Africa are, tend to be highly educated. Mm-hmm. And they, are, you know, they, they are, uh, tend to be higher class. Mm-hmm. And so when they come here, just like Asian immigrant, uh, they don't go through uh, the type of... of uh, experience that the older immigrants in 19th century, early 20th century went through, they don't go through uh, the, the ghetto experience and the barrio in the city experience. They move right into uh, the suburb. Right. They have the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and, uh, uh, you know, immigrants from Africa, not all of them, you can't, you can't always, you can't generalize, in, uh, people right. like but mo- many of them right. uh, uh, do not relate with African-Americans. Right. Uh, so, so you have that problem within each, uh, you know, racial ethnic group. Yeah, I just want to say one thing though. You're very right about that. And what we don't do a good job of, or they don't do a good job, that includes uh, people from the African continent, from India, from China, and other parts of the world, is that they don't educate themselves about the issue of racism and what it mm-hmm. looks like coming in. And they mm-hmm. automatically blame the African-American. Mm-hmm. But they also have to understand that they have benefited from African-Americans 
putting their backs on the line to mm-hmm. change laws. Like mm-hmm. the the nineteen sixty five was a nineteen sixty five law. No. Um, that changed on the heels of the civil rights movement in sixty four. The civil mm-hmm. rights legislation in sixty four. African Americans have put themselves on the line to better their lives, but when they do so, they're also helping all the other groups that are mm-hmm. coming. Yeah. All the other groups of color. And and those people don't, one, understand it, recognize it, or appreciate it. Pandemic provides a perfect opportunity to spread the hate message and to radical, radicalize the young. Mm-hmm. And they tend to target a marginalized group as threat and employ us versus them type of rhetoric to justify violence. So what we need to do is to counteract that you know, us against them mentality and, uh, and we need to tell a story that uh, undercut harmful images and narratives. Uh, the example I'm thinking about, I, you know, I saw it on today's show, uh, it's about, uh, about a young man, uh, Kedron Bryant mm-hmm. and, and his mother. Uh, Kedron is a gifted 12-year-old gospel singer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and he sang the song called, I Just Want to Live. Right, I saw that. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so it's uh, you know, it's a way of uh, you know, instead of showing that in you know, all the negative aspect, we need a story like that because the Keaton mother's uh, Junetta uh, told the uh, Today Show's host that when I heard Mr. Floyd call out his mom as a black mother, that really hit me in a deep way. Mm-hmm. I went to, into prayer, and God gave me the words to me. So she wrote the song, mm-hmm. and her son. Sang it. Right. Uh, so this heart-rending rending song went viral, has been viewed by, I don't know, over 3 million people and reposted by the likes of President Obama and LeBron James and, and others. Uh, so we need to add more story like this uh, to counteract harmful images. Right. And I don't disagree with you on that. I think those are really good, effective ways of reaching people through their heart to show Black people and other people of color as being as humans. Mm -hmm. But I have to tell you, living in this country for over 40 years, I mean, I've seen these moments. The Rodney Mm -hmm. King, for example, Trayvon Martin. You know, there's been moments where, you know, Uh, we have tried to change the narrative. And I'm not saying we shouldn't, Mm -hmm. but we always get back to this place when America is under stress, Mm -hmm. the dominant culture, you know, and and put their knees on the necks, proverbial neck on Mm -hmm. uh, people of color, primarily Mm African-Americans. I mean, just think about it. There is, you know, he didn't think anything to kill kill George Floyd. Mm -hmm. In plain daylight, knowing he's being videotaped, he had his yeah. hand in his pocket. That shows, you know, to him, it was, you know, I think we treat animals better. As a mm-hmm. Black mother, I have to tell you, that was one of the most heart-wrenching things to see. Mm-hmm. And it took mm-hmm. me a while to see it, but I have to tell you, it's it's unbelievable, unbelievable. Now, the fact that you know he he's doing that despite the you know that people are filming him and uh, in broad daylight tells me that he has done this before. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's not the first time. 
It's not the first time. I mean, we've, you know, I am, I don't know what the answer is. What I do know is I need to take care of myself and help take care of other Black mothers like myself. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to make an effort to do that. But I don't know that I feel hopeful and in terms of changing the narrative because racism is so deep-seated. It is so, Mm -hmm. such a part of America, you know, that um, I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I think uh, we can change the narrative among ourselves, among the people of color. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, uh, there's a video, uh, a few videos come to mind uh, during this pandemic, uh, African-American violence against Asian-Americans. Uh, these videos easily lend themselves to us versus them mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what we need to do is counteract them. And one way to do is to share our story of inclusion and mutual support. Right. Uh, for example, you know, since I spent my formative years uh, in African American community, I tell the story that, like any school, there were bullies in my school as well, mm-hmm. but there were also many good people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the African American grew up with the older African Americans who mentored me through my form- formative years. The African Americans who mentored me would not condone bullying and violence. Uh, they built relationships. They foster cooperation and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to counter these negative images and narratives that divide us by telling stories uh, that will bring us together. And we need to do that among people of color, uh, you know, certainly among ourselves, so that we're not going to fall, fall, fall into that divine conquest thing again. I will say that is something I think I could commit to, right? At mm-hmm. this moment, I think I could commit to taking care of myself and others like me, but also changing the narrative and uh, building relationships among people of color. I don't know that I have any um, hope about America, you know, changing its, uh, its narrative about Black people I, I've seen so much happen in my short lifetime that mm-hmm. tells me that the racist systemic world in which we live in is here to stay and it's not going anywhere. But um, let's talk about where we work. We work on campuses. We work in colleges mm-hmm. and universities. You know, I remember when the COVID-19 first, we learned about it. There was a school, a university where some of the students had a coronavirus party and Mm -hmm. in doing so they were wearing masks of that symbolized or or supposed to um, depict Asian Americans. Mm -hmm. I don't know how people come up with these things but I I just it just threw me. Mm -hmm. You know so how do we keep how do we minimize these things in college campuses because not only um, because college campuses are also part of the supporting uh, uh, communities in which they're located, mm-hmm. but also we are training people to go out in the workplace, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be interacting with diverse communities. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think, you know, uh, getting a uh, college campus and uh, you know, uh, especially undergraduate years, they're so young, uh, getting to know people from different walks of life, different uh, race, ethnicity, and, and uh, other kind of diversity, it's important. Uh, having an honest discussion 
on what is what is truly means to be a community founded on hospitality and uh, mutual respect, and that they're both a mercy value is important. Mm-hmm. And, and, and creating an environment that foster the value of hospitality, mutual respect, and tolerance, and is free from discrimination based on race, ethnicity, uh, religion, uh, disability, age, sexual orientation, uh, other whatever characteristic. So one of the things that, you know, is uh, I think racial literacy is necessary yeah. uh, to live in an increasingly multicultural world. And uh, one of the things that I, I want to suggest is that perhaps, you know, as we begin the new semester, uh, some of us who are some expertise in, in different area can uh, tape a short 15 to 30 minute type of uh, a lecture on a particular racial ethnic group mm-hmm. and then post and put, and put it on in the library, whatever you know, the uh, uh, memory or whatever they call it. And, and any, any, any faculty member who wish to uh, use them in the class can access them. It could be on Asian American, African American, whatever, or a particular theme, uh, you know, you know, maybe on Cuban. Human migration, the difference between the first wave and and, and subsequent waves, uh, whatever. Uh, it could be uh, it could be something like this. The, the podcast can be posted up there too. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, my my experience in, in, in teaching ethnic studies, uh, you know, uh, for example, for Asian American students to understand African American history critically, and as understanding the alliances formed between Asian and, and African American during the civil rights era. Uh, will help them better understand th- their own history. That's and, important. And now, understanding the uh, uh, how the yellow peril meant served to encourage discrimination and violence against Chinese workers, including lynching uh, in some cases, that uh, culminated in, in 1882 the Chinese Exclusion Act, will help African Americans define a uh, historical moment of solidarity. Mm-hmm. resisting white supremacy. Mm-hmm. I think you want to know, uh, you want to understand the history and struggle of your own people, you understand something about other people. It mm-hmm. helps you understand your own people. Yeah, and it's a shame because they don't get to learn about anyone's history in any detail outside mm-hmm. of European history mm-hmm. in high school, right? And so, mm-hmm. yeah, learning about the Chinese Exclusionary Law of 1882... Um, is really important. Even, you know, the Gentleman's Act, right? Was, is mm-hmm. that what it's called? Gentleman's yeah, Act? The Act. The, I mean, the Japanese internment, right? Mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. are not... People just spend a sentence or two on that in a history book, but really mm-hmm. understanding that and understanding what it was like for people at that time without mm-hmm. ignoring how this country was built on the backs of Af- uh, Black people who were enslaved. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the relationship between the police today and how they got started with the slave patrol is important to know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. History um, matters. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, at USJ, we don't have a, a, a student required to take a uh, kind of a survey course on different racial minority. You know, I, that's why I wanted to have this kind of a, uh, you know, short tape lecture on a different topic. 
mm -hmm. uh, available for faculty want, want to use it. Yeah, I think it's important, and I think we can start. We we can certainly do video, but we can also utilize the podcast as mm -hmm. a means of mm -hmm. doing it. So, um, so there's a lot to do. I am um, hopeful in terms of working with young people on college campuses and in the classroom. Mm -hmm. I am hopeful um, about you know the relationship in uh, between people of color and working together so we can be more united, more focused, and understand systemic, what systemic racism is about, you know, and not spend a lot of time on the individual racist activities that occurs so much, but understand it's a system and it's a system that has to be dismantled, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I'm hopeful about some of those things. Okay, so I just wanted to say, before we come to an end, is there a message you'd like to share with the world? One of the uh, silver line, if you will, uh, of this pandemic is that uh, uh, the many Asian Americans, more Asian Americans can identify uh, with the uh, struggle faced by black and brown communities. Mm -hmm. uh, some have shown empathy towards racism, discrimination experienced by uh, um, by other people of color. As a result of the anti-Asian racism they, they have experienced, uh, they are now standing up for Armand Arbery and George Floyd. So we need more Asian Americans to reject anti-Black racism and to work with Black and Brown to disrupt white supremacy. So it's an opportune time to build alliances. And racism against community of color will not end if we are divided. We need to be on the same page and stand in solidarity against hate and racism. Absolutely. So I could have a little more hope in humankind, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm losing my <laughs> I'm losing my sense of hopefulness. Um, yeah, well, thank you for that. I do appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about the issue of racism, systemic racism in this country, and particularly from the perspective of Asian Americans in terms of how they're experiencing it at this time in a COVID-19 pandemic. I continue to work with you and to be a mentee of yours. So thank you. <laughs>